This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Today's episode of the Moranalytics Podcast is brought to you by Pulse Cellular. Are you tired of paying outrageous prices with Verizon, AT&T, Sprint, all those other companies? I know I am. Pulse Cellular was created to give a better option for everyone looking for premium wireless phone service for less cost with straightforward plans, no strings attached, no confusing fine print, no BS at all. They got you covered nationwide in the U.S. with unlimited talk and text with premium best LTE data plans, hotspot coverage at no additional cost. That's big, by the way, no additional cost in all 50 states, the Caribbean, Canada, Mexico. Plans also include unlimited free Wi-Fi calls internationally when calling U.S. lines. There are no credit checks. There are no contracts. There are no overage costs. Go visit PulseCellular.com. When you're there, use promo code Moran at checkout and you'll get 10% off your plan, any plan. Again, promo code Moran. It'll get you 10% off what's already a great deal. Find out for yourself that life is better with Pulse. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moran Analytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. All right, podcast fans, what's going on? How you doing? What's up? Welcome to episode number 125 of the Moranalytics podcast presented by Paul Cellular. Today is Tuesday, June 4th, 2019. You can only hear me, you can't see me, but you're going to have to take my word for it. There's a pep in my step right now, man. I'm in a good mood. Got a lot of energy. I'm excited. I'm pumped. If you're a regular listener of this podcast, you know that last week I did not have brand new episodes. I ran best of episodes last Tuesday and Friday. That sucked. Absolutely hated doing it. But long story short, I don't want to bore you with too many details here at the top before I even get into my guests, which by the way, I have a good episode. I'll talk about that in a second. But last week was moving week for me. We've lived in the same complex down here in Florida for the last three years and We decided our lease came up that my wife and I, when I say we, and my son as well, that we wanted to move into a different place, something that just had a little more to offer. So we decided on a different complex in a different town. We lived in Bradenton and we moved down just actually one town over, Lakewood Ranch, which is kind of like in between Bradenton and uh, Sarasota. Really nice town, very small. Actually, you think of Florida, you think of old Florida. This is actually a relatively new town. Pretty much everything looks and feels new here. So we moved and it was just way too busy for me, man. 
You know how it goes when you move. Packing. Not to mention just regular life. You know, life goes on. You got to do your job. Lots of things going on. Driving, chauffeuring my 16-year-old son all over the place. Stuff like that. Long story short, I just didn't physically at the time, or to be honest with you, the mental (laughs) wherewithal to be able to tape new episodes for Tuesday and Friday. Everything that comes with it. Doing the research, getting guests, booking them doing the interview, putting it all together, editing, all that stuff. So I just ran with best of episodes last week, which again, I absolutely hated. But I also figured it was the lesser of two evils because the alternative would have been having nothing at all. And I didn't want to do that at all. Don't want to give you guys and girls a chance to even forget about me, even if it was just for one week. But anyway, we are moved in now. Got everything set up. Well, not everything set up. I'll tell you this real quick, funny story. Then we're going to get into this episode. We moved, so we moved on a Saturday, and we got a U-Haul truck and got some of my son's buddies from his high school football team to help us move. Got everything into the apartment, which I'm telling you, man, maybe I'm just getting old and things are getting harder and harder to do physical things like that for me. It was tough, man. But they, so they, I don't even want to say me, basically they get everything in the house all these boxes and bins and furniture, so on and so forth. My wife obviously is excited to be in a new place. You know, she wants to go through the kitchen and the bathroom and in the bedrooms and stuff like that. Literally the second that everything was in the house, I immediately went into our room. That's going to be the podcast studio, that area. And before I started setting up any dining room table stuff or, or kitchen stuff, anything like that, I just went right into the goddamn podcast studio room, unpacked all my boxes, set all that up, pretty much pissed her off because again, I didn't want to help put a bed together or a dresser, but I could sit on my podcast studio within 10 minutes of being in our new house. Wasn't happy about that. She wasn't, I should say, but whatever is what it is. Bottom line is I am back. I'm really excited. Like I said, you could tell by my rambling here, how excited I am to have the podcast back with brand new episodes. And speaking of I got a good one for you today. Matt Bovey, WKBW Channel 7 in Buffalo, sports reporter, sports anchor. Rumor has it we're going to address this as much as he feels like talking about it. Imminent, I don't want to use the word current because it's not yet, but imminent sports director of Channel 7, Matt Bovey, is going to be my guest. Got plenty to talk about. Matt was on the podcast last September. Loved having him on. He's one of my favorite guys in the sports media to talk to. Not just Buffalo sports media, by the way. I'm talking sports media, period. Really good guy. Very talented. Great person to have a conversation with. We talk bills. We talk, by the way, Roger Goodell, who was in town in Buffalo or Western New York, I should say, for the Jim Kelly Celebrity Golf Tournament. He had some interesting things to say about a stadium, overtime rules, instant replay, stuff like that. We're going to break down some of what he talked about, and I'm going to get Matthew's takes on that. We'll talk some Buffalo Sabres, Jeff Skinner, what the hell is going on with that stuff. Plenty to talk about with Matt Bovey, so I'm going to have that for you. Also, I have a movie review today, Rocket Man, the new Elton John biopic, out in theaters now. Sean Chandler from the Sean Chandler Talks About YouTube channel is going to provide that. Sean was on the show a couple months ago, and we kind of worked out something where from time to time, when he does a movie review of a flick that I think my listeners will want to hear about. He's going to let me run the audio version. Obviously, I can't do the video because this is a podcast, but I'm going to run the audio version of his review. And what I ask in return, go check out his channel, which by the way, 
is an easy pitch. This is an easy ass pitch. Go to Sean Chandler to talk about YouTube channel. Hit that subscribe button. Dude's got like over 110,000 subscribers. I had him on the show a couple months ago, like I said. He was around, I don't know, 75, 80 at that time. So he's growing exponentially. I mean, at a huge rate for good reason. Puts out amazing content almost daily. Movie reviews, TV reviews. Why is that word review such a hard word for me to say? I don't know. But anyway, he's really good at it. Go check it out. And I'll let I babbled on way too much early on. Let's get down to business, man. Again, I, God, my juices are flowing right now. Let's just get down to it. Here's my interview with Matthew Beauvais, followed by the movie review of Rocket Man. Let's do it. All right, my guest today is a sports anchor at WKBW Channel 7 in Buffalo. Perhaps soon to hold a new job title. We'll get into that plenty more in just a second. Talking about a guy I'm a big fan of, my man Matthew Beauvais. What's up, Matt? Thanks for coming on the podcast for a second time now. How you doing, man? I'm well, and thanks for having me. And I think second time means I'm now officially a friend of the show. So that's pretty <laughs> exciting. On my pretty exciting on my end, if I do say so myself. Yeah, you definitely are a friend of the show. I'll tell you what, too. Let's address that intro right here at the top. I've heard from a super secret source that you're going to soon be sports director at Channel Seven. Are these sources accurate? And by source, by the way, I mean newspaper articles saying as such and pretty much everyone in the world in the Buffalo sports media talking about it. I want you, I'll tell you what, I want you to give me the biggest coach speak garbage answer to indirectly answer that as possible. Like you're Sean McDermott avoiding the question, being vanilla. Give me a nice vanilla response to that. Are you going to be the new Channel 7 sports director? Well, Pat, I mean how can you plan for things in the future when we don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow, <laughs> let alone what's going to, ha- what's going to happen in a couple of weeks from now. And I just think that I am so laser focused on getting through the next couple of days of my work week, whether it's things that I need to do for work or whether it's things that I need to do in my personal life, I can't start to think about what's happening down the line. I really need to focus in on this week because at the end of the day, we just need to be better day by day. It's a process, right? <laughs> There it is. (laughs) All right. Seriously, though, okay. What is this going to mean? You an opportunity to go from growing up in Wheatfield to going to Buff State College. What's a New York guy all the way, man? You work your way up the ladder at Channel 7 and soon. Well, you know, what does this mean to you to have this type of opportunity soon? It's really cool. And, you know, we've kind of spoke about this in the past, but I'm from here. I love the area. Teams in Western New York mean so much to me, my family, and my friends. And all of the people really who you meet, whether it's out on a story or if it's at a bar, the teams in this town matter. And getting a chance to continue to talk about these teams and write about these teams and have conversations, it's exciting for me just because it is something that I care about. And I know it's something that resonates with a ton of people. So to be able to continue to do it, is, it's amazing. It's, it's a dream come true. And I know that sounds a little bit cliche, but when you are someone who grows up in a town like Buffalo – and you get a chance to talk and write about sports in Buffalo for a living, it doesn't get much better than that. Now, we talked a lot about your path and your career the first time you were on the podcast. People should go back in the archives, check that out. I'm going to put a link in the show notes for it. Anyway, one of the many things that you talked about was working with and learning from Joe B. How much has working with Joe B helped you in your career to this point, and you feel like 
will help you get to the next point of your career as well. I don't really have a tangible way of explaining how much he has kind of meant to me, both as a mentor and as a friend these last couple of years. You know, Joe is kind of the big reason why I even got into the sports department. I was a news reporter before I was a sports reporter. And he basically said, hey, take a chance. I know you know a lot about sports. I think this is a set, you know, something that would really, really work out well for the two of us. So he kind of molded me into, you know, somebody who we have our similarities, we have our differences, we have our agreements, we have things that we disagree on, but his work ethic and just the way that he treats people is awesome. And it's nice to learn from somebody like that. From kind of a more technical standpoint, Joe is an outstanding writer. And for me, going into this, I was a little hesitant about that because my writing is not fantastic. I'm not a great writer. I try and get better with it every single day, you know, the process thing. But Joe kind of taught me just like the ins and outs and gave me like these little trips, uh, you know, tips and tricks and things to remember. And I think that has helped me a ton. But, you know, aside from that, it's really, really awesome getting to work with somebody who is genuinely a friend. And Jenna Caleri is the exact same way. She's the other person in our sports department. We all get along, whether we're in the sports office or we're out at a restaurant having dinner together. We are really, really good friends. And it's awesome to have that because you care about each other. You care about the work that you're doing, but it extends outside of the walls of the building. And that's important because at the end of the day, even though it's an amazing job, it is a job and the other things matter even more. So that's awesome. I'm glad you said Jenna, by the way, that's somebody that I need to get on this podcast. I'm going to reach out to her soon. Really interested in getting to know her story. I haven't had a chance to talk to her yet. One guy I did have a chance to talk to. He was on this podcast recently was Paul Hamilton from WGR. That's a dude that you're constantly going back and forth, messing around with on Twitter. You guys are like trash. I mean, it's pretty obvious that you guys are constantly, you know, clowning around with each other, having fun with each other. You guys are always going back and forth, man. What the heck's that all about? What's that relationship all about? (laughs) I wouldn't have it any other way. And it's funny because Paul tells me all the time, he goes, you know what, for people who don't really know us, I wonder if they ever think that we actually hate each other. And I go, (laughs) I don't know, Paul, but it certainly comes across that way on Twitter as we bicker back and forth. But we basically go back and forth like we're an old married couple, yeah. which is funny because we ha- we haven't even known each other for that long. It's probably been about four years now that I've known Paul. And Paul and Joe are very close just from working at WGR and the- back in the day together. So Joe kind of introduced me to Paul and I got to know him a little bit. And I told him kind of my background and I said, hey, I love hockey. I'm going to be covering a lot of hockey. And he's like, you can't cover hockey. You don't know anything about hockey. And I was like, shut up, Paul. I'll figure it out. Don't you worry. I know a lot about hockey because I don't listen to you and we would always just kind of argue and it's we're really really close we would sit up next to each other or at least a couple seats away in the press box and I always bounce different things off Paul and he's always very blunt with me and we have these great conversations and I listened to the episode where you interviewed Paul and I listened to a lot of your different episodes and no disrespect to the other guests but that was probably my favorite just because Paul is such a genuine person who has gone through so much in his life and he's an in, he should be an inspiration, not just to somebody who works in the media here in Western New York, but just to so many different people who are dealing with different struggles and challenges that they have. Paul has done it with class. He's overcome so much, and he's just an outstanding human. And it's funny because so many people, you know, they, they make fun of him or they yell at him for blocking people on Twitter or saying to watch your language or telling him that he doesn't know about hockey. But he is so knowledgeable. He is so in the know. And he is so well-respected in the hockey community 
that it's funny that sometimes you just kind of want to defend him for himself, you know, for him. But I know he's a big boy. He can handle it himself. So we will always be bickering and going back and forth with each other. But it's all because of how much, at least, I don't, I don't want to say how much he respects me, but how much I respect Well, I'll tell you what, man. And thank you, by the way, for that compliment. He was my favorite guest to, to this point. And it's funny because going into the interview, I'm going to be completely honest with you. I had never had a conversation with Paul. I knew about the reputation. And a lot of it is true. And he admitted it. He is very quick on the, with his Twitter finger to block people. And he doesn't have, he doesn't play any games on on Twitter, stuff like that. You swear at him, you're gone. If you're disrespectful, you're gone. So you would seem, all right, and the, and the exterior. And I could see why some fans would say, well, this is a guy with not a lot of personality. But as I got to know him and talk to him, it's like, that's not true whatsoever, man. It's really not. And he has, like you said, he has been through so much. And he's just great. He's such a good storyteller. And like his hockey knowledge, as far as I'm concerned, is second to none. Really good guy, and uh, I like I said, I, I just always see you guys going at it. Talking about Chick Fil A too. What is the Chick Fil A thing about? That, that's I always hear about that or see that on Twitter. You know, I don't even know how it started, but it was essentially one day we were either talking about Chick Fil A or we were talking about going to Chick Fil A, and Paul said, "It's just a crappy chicken sandwich. Like, why are you getting so excited about it?" And I said, "Paul, excuse you, it's." delicious and you have no idea what you're talking about you know as much about this chicken sandwich as you know about hockey and we went back and forth and we're going back and forth so when it opened in rochester i think it was probably a year and a half ago we were down there covering an amherst game so i was you know i think messaging one of the guys it might have been like brian duff or something and i'm like hey is paul coming to the game tonight and they're like yeah we think he is so i went to chick-fil-a i waited in line for about a half an hour in the drive-thru strictly so I could give Paul Chick-fil-A. I could take a picture of me giving Paul the Chick-fil-A and then I could just give him a hard time about it. So I brought him the Chick-fil-A and he was like, I hate you. You're ridiculous. You're going to make me eat this. You're going to make me eat this overrated chicken sandwich. So then a couple months passed. I'm sitting on the beach in Spain. I'm on vacation and I get a call from Joe B and Joe goes, Hey, I'm at Tim Graham's Make-A-Wish charity fundraiser right now. There is something right now like being auctioned to take Paul to Chick-fil-A. Basically, it was a $50 <laughs> it was a $50 donation and the $50 would be donated to Make-A-Wish and the thing the prize was to take Paul Hamilton to Chick-fil-A. So <laughs> jo- Joe calls me and he goes, "Hey, I know you're on vacation. This is urgent." Can you give me, can you Venmo me 25 bucks? We'll go halves on this thing to bring Paul to Chick-fil-A and it's for charity. I was like, oh my goodness, absolutely. That's a no brainer. We'll 100% do it. And then John Vogel and Chris Baker from The Athletic both put up money to pay for our meal. So Paul and I will be going to Chick-fil-A as, you know, a donation that was made for Make-A-Wish. And that's kind of how it all comes full circle. So that's going to be happening sometime. <laughs> that's, going to, that's going to be happening sometime in the next couple of weeks with a representative, mind you, from Make-A-Wish. That is awesome, man. I don't even know how to transition in the actual serious <laughs> talk from there right now. I, I don't know how to do it. I'm going to try, though, all right? So listen, Roger Goodell's in town. Jim Kelly Celebrity Golf Tournament on Monday. We're taping this late Monday night. He met with the local media. And among other things, he alluded to a new stadium being essential to the stability of of the franchise long-term. His direct quote was, I want to make sure this franchise remains competitive 
and stable. Do you get a personal growing sense that when this is all said and done, that we're looking at a new stadium somewhere, whether it's downtown or Orchard Park, as opposed to a fancy stadium renovation? What do you think? You know what? I I don't want to say either way, just because I could see them going in either direction. What Roger Goodell said didn't surprise me, and I don't really think it should surprise too many people because we've kind of heard him allude to similar things on multiple different occasions. We've even heard the Pagulas kind of allude to similar things over the years in different interviews and different times that they've spoke to the media. We know right now they are exploring all options. And I know that's usually a cop-out answer when somebody doesn't want to get into more depth because they know the response is going to be negative from at least one side. There are people who say the Bills need a new stadium downtown. It's what makes sense. And then there's people who don't like that answer and they go, there's nothing wrong with it in Orchard Park. And then you have the people who say, okay, let's completely renovate what's going on in Orchard Park. And then there's others who say that doesn't make any sense. You should put the stadium downtown. So I don't really have a sense either way. I think if you would ask me a year ago, I would have said, I think a downtown stadium is very, very likely. And that's just me speculating. That's not me giving some inside information. That's just me as somebody who's in the area, right. who went to a lot of Bills games when he was growing up and who now covers the Bills. I would have said that I thought a downtown stadium probably made the most sense. Sense. I still think there's a lot of reasons that that could make sense. But then the counter argument is you look at places like Arrowhead and like soldier field where those massive renovations happened and it's work there as long as they do whatever they think is best they are paying people a ton of money to try and figure out what the best scenario you know the best thing they should do is those people know more about it than i do so let the experts make their decision and then we can figure out where they go from there i'm with matt bovey from wkbw Goodell spoke on several topics i want to get your thoughts on a couple of them these aren't bills topics these are nfl league topics one of them looks like the playoff format's going to stay the exact same. No additional teams added, and all four divisional winners are guaranteed to get a home playoff game. Critics will argue that a wild card team with a better record traveling to a lesser division winner is BS. That's one point of view. What's your thought? Do you like things the way they are now, or the, do you win a division, you get a home game, or do you think that record should matter more? personally, I think I might probably have a different opinion than most people on this. I think the record should matter more. I know that you have to win your division and that makes division games more important. I understand that, but I also think, you know, an eight and eight team that that doesn't happen very often, or let's say a nine and seven team hosting a team that has 11 wins. I think that's a little bit ridiculous, especially if the two teams have played each other and the team with the better record has won. I get that that could be complicated to me. I I do wish it would have changed a little bit. I think that the team with the better record or the teams with the better records should be given home games because they can't control what division they're in. They can only go out on the field and they can try and win as many games as as they can. And if they go out and they win two or three more games than a team that's in a division that maybe isn't as strong, I think the team with the better record should be rewarded for their efforts as opposed to the team that just wins their division. I mean, if you go and win the AFC South or, you know, it was the NFC – what was it, the NFC West when they weren't very good? Right. They were hosting games at like seven and nine or something. Like that that's absurd, but that's the way the format is. So I, they're probably going under the assumption that if it's not broken, we don't have anything to fix and they just kind of rolled with it. But I think the better record team should be rewarded personally. Yeah, for the record, I completely agree with you. I mean, winning the division is important because it's the only way to be guaranteed a playoff spot, but the better record should have the home field for that game. Another topic. 
You said, you know, this is something if it's broke, don't fix it, whatever you. Here's something that is broke, okay? The playoff, the coaching challenge, there might add, they're not sure how they're going to do it yet, but pass interference is going to become reviewable. Maybe it might be a, a coach's challenge inside two minutes, which normally would not be eligible, but it cannot be understated enough, man. That literally a horrifically blown referee call stopped the Saints from going to the Super Bowl. They have to change that, right? One other question too, Matt, okay? Because you're not just a fan. You covered a team. Can you imagine if this were the Buffalo Bills and they got screwed over in the AFC Championship game because of a blown pass interference call? Can you imagine just covering the team, what your job would probably be like, having to report on that? God, I can't even imagine how crazy that would be. I would imagine it would be like covering the Sabres in 99 with no goal, especially yeah. before, social me- before social media was a thing. But right. my, st- my stance on this is whatever it takes to get the call right. If that means you need to expand replay, I get that maybe games become five or ten minutes longer and everybody wants the pace of play to try and be as quick as possible and they want to make sure that games aren't long and unbearable. I understand that. But whatever it takes to get the call right, whether that's a coach's challenge, whether that's a referee in the booth who can buzz down to the referees on the field and go, hey, there's a pretty obvious missed call that we need to change. Whatever it takes to make sure those kind of things don't happen. It will never be perfect. But if you can go from, let's say, a 60 or 70% percentage of being right to a 90 or 95 percentage of being right, whatever gets closer to that 100%, because ultimately that's what's the most important, at least to me. I don't care how you get there. Just make sure the call is right. And if that means more coaches' challenges or if that means more you know, flexibility from the officials where they can have somebody who can give them help or they have kind of like a, a war room type deal or you know, like the room they have in Toronto in the NHL, stuff like that. Just try and get creative and make sure these calls are right because that was so obviously a blown call. And those refs would have realized that after watching the replay for 10 seconds. So it's a slippery slope, but just just get it right. No tweaks. One more thing here with Godell. There's going to be no tweaks in the overtime rules. Again, critics. And if I'm being honest, I'm kind of one of them who don't think a team should potentially not be able to touch a ball in overtime because of the results of a coin flip. Last year was a great example, too. The Patriots win the toss. They score a touchdown. And the Chiefs, an NFL MVP, Patrick Mahomes, never even gets to see the field in overtime. And then other people on the other end, they'll say, well, if you can't make a stop on defense, you don't deserve to have a chance to win. Where's where's your stance on that? What's your thought? Let both teams have the ball. Yeah. And then from there and then from there it becomes sudden death because you know, if you're the team that has the ball first, you go and you get a touchdown. If you're really really confident, go for two and the game right there. And then, you know, then we at least get back to the point where we're at and they probably are trying to protect not having more ties because if both teams were guaranteed a time with the ball, you would probably end up getting more ties just because the game would be drawn out more. But th- that's just my opinion because it's the same thing. You know, it's unfair that it's a coin toss. That it can't be controlled. It has nothing to do with what happened in the game or skill or anything. It is literally a 50-50 coin toss. So I think both teams should be able to touch the ball at least in those kind of scenarios. I want to talk about Josh Allen real quick. Dude lit it up last week at OTAs, at least according to everyone from the media who was there, including you. And obviously everyone instantly overreacted, whether it's proclaiming a guy to be, you know, ready to go to the Pro Bowl this season or on the other side, people in full attack mode on those praising him for how good he looks right now in shorts and a 
Jersey, you were there for media portion of OTAs. What did you see from him that you would like right now? I saw confidence in the throws that he was making. He kind of was just, it's not the right way of saying it, but he, he was feeling it. He was feeling himself. He knew that he was making the throws. And after he made the first couple, he was trying to see what he could and couldn't get away with. And it cost him on one. He got picked off by Jordan Poyer right in front of the end zone. It's a really nice play by Poyer. But aside from that, he was damn good when we were watching him during practice. And just to see that I know that Josh Allen is an NFL starting quarterback. Matt Barkley is a backup. And Tyree Jackson is just dipping his toes into the water as a pro. But to see the difference between the throws that Josh Allen was making and the two other guys were making, his arm talent is ridiculous. And like you said, they're in shorts. There's no tackling. The schemes aren't crazy complicated yet. He probably should be lighting it up. But guess what? It's a good thing that he is as opposed to looking really, really bad. Because we could be having the exact same conversation about me saying, hey, you know what, it's early, there's a lot of new pieces up there, give it some time. Well, let's give it some time and see if he continues to look this good, but it's a lot better that he looks good than if he looked bad. Sure, you know, I fall on the side of, I do think OTAs matter some, not so much, I mean, look, you are, like we keep saying it, t-shirts and shorts and what have you, but Mentally, I, I I feel like the confidence level has got to be much greater than it was last year. You know, last year at this time, you're covering OTAs. Josh Allen's a rookie. He's not number one on the depth chart. You don't know who the starter is going to be. Is it going to be Peterman? Is it going to be McCarron? We didn't know anything at that time. Whereas you go to OTAs this year, and like you said, there's a pretty clear-cut one and a clear-cut two for sure. And I feel like his mental development right now and the rapport that he's getting with his guys and the leadership level that he seems to be taking, it matters, even if it is just OTAs. Yeah, it matters. And what also matters is the reps that he's getting because last year he wasn't getting the reps as a starter. He was sharing those reps with Nathan Peterman. So now, well, and A.J. McCarron, it's funny. I almost forgot about him. But now, like, Josh Allen is the starting quarterback. Unless something happens to him or he gets hurt, he will be getting the starting reps all the way from OTAs through training camp, through the preseason, and into the regular season. And I'm a firm believer that the more reps and the more opportunities that he has to go out and make the plays in practice and make the mistakes in practice, the better you will be on the field when it actually happens. And I understand that it is a completely different monster when you're playing in a regular season or a playoff football game than if you're playing in practice or a preseason game. But, but those reps matter. Muscle memory matters. Those chemistry with the receivers matters. The timing, all the different things that you can get ironed out. Zay Jones had a, a great answer to a question that we had for him last week, and we were asking, you know, what he's seen the difference in Josh. And he pointed to a particular instance where he ran a route in practice, and Josh thought that it could be ran a little bit cleaner, which would help him get the ball to him in a more comfortable position for the two of them. And essentially, they worked it out. And then they tried it later in that practice, and it resulted in a, a really nice game. I don't know if it was a touchdown or if it was a really nice game, but he was like, that's the Josh Allen this year. Last year, Josh Allen wasn't comfortable enough to come to me and tell me that there's something that I can be doing better. Now he is comfortable. He is a leader. He's willing to say those things, and hopefully it makes him a better player because of it. One more Bills thing here. I'm kind of just flying around all over the place. Thoughts on O.J. Simpson's 32 going back into circulation. Had it been worn in 42 years, Sonoris Perry, who knows if he's going to make the roster. But for anyway, right now, he's wearing number 32. Do you have any thoughts on that? 
No, not uh, really. I don't, I don't know if I should or I don't know if I should or if I shouldn't. I understand the significance of the number. I get the backstory. I get why some people might be upset about it. I get why some people might be happy the number is being used again. I, I don't really think it matters. It's a number. It's been a long, long time. The guy is fighting to be a special teams player on this team. We don't even know if he's going to make the team yet. I, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Personally, you know, everybody's got a different opinion. When that happened a couple of weeks ago and I saw that, I was like, wow, didn't know it has been that long since nobody wore the number. Yeah. Don't really care. Yeah. Don't really care. I don't but- give a shit. <laughs> I really don't, to be honest with you, man. Yeah. Let's talk Sabres for a minute. Switch gears here. I, I, I could only talk Sabres for a couple of minutes. That's all I could handle of that team these days. Jeff Skinner, though, I got to ask you, man, what's going on with him? You, you know, we heard all last late last week that a deal was imminent, if not done already or just about to be done. But now we're taping this late Monday. As of now, nothing's still done. Reports are saying that if he does sign, he'll probably come in at around $9 million per year. To me, that's a tough spot because at $9 million, he's not a bargain. He's not a value signing guy. But also at the same token, 40 goal scorers, they don't grow on trees. So it, it's tough to call them overpaid as well. What What's your stance on that right now? A good value for Skinner coming in. If he comes in at say 9 million, are you going to be happy or are you going to say that's not a great deal for the Sabres? I don't think it's a great deal for the Sabres, but I also do think that that's a deal that they should be making. And quite frankly, that they have to make. Yeah. And I don't also, I don't think that's a reflection on Jason Bottrell. I don't think it's like, look at the position that you have put this team in. Guess what? Jeff Skinner is an, going to be an unrestricted free agent. What happens to those players is they get paid a little more money or a lot more money than they probably should. But if fans are going to get caught up in a million dollars more for a 40 goal scorer, and I think we're really starting to get a little bit too nitpicky for a team that hasn't made the playoffs in a long, long time. The reason they haven't made the playoffs in a long time is because they haven't had a lot of good hockey players. Jeff Skinner is a very good hockey player. And if you're not willing to pay him $9 million a year, guess what? Another team will. And that team's probably a better team than the Sabres because right now most of the teams in the league are. People are like, hey, he's only good because he gets to play with Jack Eichel. That's complete nonsense because during his career at Carolina, he was not playing with great centers and he was still putting up numbers. Is he better with Jack Eichel? Well, of course he's better with Jack Eichel. But guess what? Eichel's going to be here for a long, long time too. So I don't like that argument either when you go, he's only good if you put him with Jack Eichel. Well, guess what? They're both going to be here for a long time so they can be good together for a long, long time. I think it's a deal the Sabres have to make because if they don't, they have a Grand Canyon-sized hole on the roster looking for a goal scorer. And there's also people who go, well, what about Victor Olofsson? What about Alex Nylander? Give me a break. Like those guys, like that's ridiculous to say the guy who has the third most even strength goals in the NHL since 2015, 2016 could be replaced by someone who had a good season in the AHL one year. Like we're going from a one good year in the AHL is good enough to say he's going to become one of the best goal scorers in the NHL. Like that doesn't mean you can't be optimistic about a guy like Olafson, but come on to set the bar at that. That's unfair to him. And that's unfair to everybody because that is way too big of an expectation. So I understand why people are like, yeah, it's, it's a lot of money. It is a lot of money, but it's also not 2012 anymore. Players are getting paid a lot of money in the NHL now. And in a couple of years when the salary caps even higher, 
there's going to be a lot of players who make more than $9 million a year who probably aren't as good as Jeff Skinner. I think he's got, I don't know, four or five really solid years of hockey left in him. And okay, if the contract stinks for three years, that's kind of what happens to good. It's a good problem to have if you got to try and figure out how to work the cap. So I, I think they need to re-sign him. Do you get annoyed sometimes with fans and even some of the media? And I'll tell you what, I'm a Jerry Sullivan guy. I love Sully. That's my guy. But I'm going to call him out because he's one of them where it's like it's set up. The Jeff Skinner thing is kind of set up for both sides of the fence where people play both sides of the fence. If the Sabres don't re-sign him, oh, I can't believe they let this guy walk. He goes and he scores 35, 38 goals next year for Vancouver, the Islanders, whatever. That's why the Sabres stink because they let guys like this walk. Or then on the other end, they give the guy the money. They give $9 million and well, losing teams don't recognize value and they overpay for guys like Jeff Skinner. You know what I mean? It's like it's set up for it to be both sides of the fence. And there's just some people who play that and I can't stand that. Yeah, it bothers me a little bit. But the thing that bothers me the most is to me, I, I get that it's a complicated conversation and there's no right or wrong answer. But personally, it's pretty simple. The Buffalo Sabres haven't made the playoffs because they don't have enough good hockey players. Jeff Skinner is a very good hockey player, and he has proven that. You can either keep him or you can let him go. But if you want to get back to the playoffs, you need to try and put a roster together with as good of, you know, as many good hockey players as possible. And if he leaves, you went from having, I don't know, four or five or six really, really good hockey players to having one fewer. And the math just doesn't add up. Teams are good because they put together rosters full of good hockey players. The Sabres haven't had those. They have one right now. Why get rid of them? How far away? Someone's going to pay him. How far away do you think the Sabres are right now from being good? I don't even know, to be honest with you, Matt, what my definition of good is. I know it's not what we saw last year or several years before that, but you had a new coach. How much of it do you think the coach might make a difference? I mean, let's just say that they do re-sign Jeff Skinner, and maybe they make one or two mid-range additions to the roster over the summer because I don't think they're going to re-sign Skinner and go on and get in another elite player, something like that in just one summer, how good could this team realistically be next year? And I would hope that Kruger as new head coach would help in some ways that maybe Phil Housley had shortcomings. I don't know, but how close do you think this team is to being at least relatively good? I wish I could give you a more firm answer. Like I wish I could tell you, Hey, I think they're close to being good or Hey, they are still light years away from being good, but it is still so early in the off season. Do the Sabres re-sign Jeff Skinner? Do they go out and try and add a center like Matt Duchesne? Probably not both, but who knows? Maybe they're willing to go all in. Do the Sabres make a trade with Rasmus Ristolainen? What are they doing with their third-line center, their second-line center? Who are they adding on the wings? What players are going to step up? I think it's a little too early to know, but I will say that there is a lot of parity in the NHL, and it's not crazy to think a team that finished where the Sabres finished last year could make its way into the playoffs. And that's not even the mark of a good hockey team. Like, yeah, if you sneak into the playoffs, you're fine. But, you know, you got to be an average hockey team to make the playoffs. You don't have to be one of the best teams in the league. More teams make the playoffs than miss the playoffs. It's just been so long since the Sabres have been there that I understand, you know, that's what the measure is right now. But the focus really should be trying to put together a team that can win the Stanley Cup. And I know that's obvious because that's what everybody is trying to do. But if that means you need to make decisions that are maybe a little more focused on the long term, I don't have a problem with that. I understand that fans are antsy and they want to see the team back in the playoffs. But does it really matter if they get to the playoffs and they lose in four games to Tampa Bay? 
No, the focus should be trying to put together a team that can go into the playoffs and beat the best teams in the NHL and hopefully one day win the Stanley Cup. That should at least be Jason Bottrell's primary focus, if you ask me. I think they have a lot of young, talented players. I think Jack Eichel is still somehow underrated. I think Rasmus Dahlin is phenomenal. I think Sam Reinhart was pretty impressive this year. Mm -hmm. I like Olafson a lot. I think they've got some nice pieces, but it's what you do around them that gets you gets them back to relevancy. I got mostly chastised for a tweet recently. I knew it was coming when I said it. I prefaced it by saying it was an unpopular opinion. I said that I would trade the Sabres, the Bandits, and the Bisons for an NBA Ooh, franchise tomorrow, okay? And again, I got mostly killed. I, I was talking for myself personally, by the way. I'm from Buffalo. I spent my whole life there for, until the last couple of years. I know it's a hockey town and it's not a basketball town. I was only talking about myself personally. Now, I'm going to assume yeah. that you're not going to agree with me at all on that. You're not much of a basketball guy, but I did see that you were on location working in Toronto for game one of the NBA finals last week. What was that experience like, man? It, it sure looked like the vibe in Toronto. That arena was just absolutely incredible. It was insane, but no joke, Pat. I actually brought up your tweet in studio during a commercial break with the other people who were, it was Jeff Russo, Ashley Rowe and Andy Parker. And I asked them, I said, Hey, look at this tweet from Pat. Would you do this deal? And we had the conversation and we were kind of playing it out and everybody gave their opinion. So it's funny that you brought that up, but the atmosphere was amazing. It was so cool to be a part of it. And it wasn't just like Toronto. It was the whole country of Canada kind of embracing the Raptors. And that was cool to be a part of. Like I I got a chill down my spine for the Canadian national anthem. I'm not Canadian. Like that shouldn't do that to me, but it was just so moving to be in the building for that. And just every time they hit a basket, it was like the roar that happens when a goal at a hockey game happens. And obviously that's far more significant because there are only two, three, four goals a game. This happened 60, 65 times during the course of the basketball game. So the place was loud and it was consistently loud. And just to kind of be there for that atmosphere, the NBA is, at least in my opinion, the league is run so well. The players have personality. They're showcased in the, in like the perfect way. It's a fan friendly league. The NBA is doing a lot of things, right? So to be there on their big stage for the NBA finals was pretty friggin' cool. And the NBA is star driven. That was kind of the whole point of my tweet. I remember our first interview, I asked you for your favorite athlete ever, and you told me LeBron. And you didn't really hesitate to tell me that either. You know what I'm saying? It's like, okay, well, yeah. let's just say Buffalo had a franchise, and it's not LeBron because he's near the end of his career. But let's just say the next, let's say Zion, Zion Williamson, the Buffalo, Buffalo was in the an NBA draft lottery, and they won. He's coming to Buffalo. I, I Listen, I have a hard, again, a, a star-driven league, a, a minor league baseball team, a lacrosse team, and an NHL team. I find it hard to believe that people wouldn't rather have an NBA team. I guess it's because of Buffalo. I mean, you asked 48 other major cities and they would get rid of those three teams for a basketball team in a, in a half a second. Well, and I think that's probably because so many people in this area have grown up rooting for the right. Sabres and they had right. a bigger and they had a bigger interest in hockey. You know, if the Braves would have left 10 years ago, I think the answer to that question is probably very different. But for me personally, I grew up a hockey fan and I grew up a football fan because the teams that I had the most access to were the Bills and the Sabres. So that's what resonates with me. Hockey is my favorite sport. I love hockey. I think it's awesome to live in a city that has the NHL. 
but it is an unbelievably valid and quite frankly, probably accurate argument to make that most people would say they'd rather have an NBA team because that's the league that's skyrocketing in popularity right now. The NBA, excuse me, the NFL has its problems. Major League Baseball surely has its problems. And the NHL has a ton of problems too. The NBA has them, but they get out in front of them. They address them. They do everything right. And they are surging, not just here in the United States, but all over the world. So if you put an NBA team in Buffalo, like, yeah, there's interest in hockey in Europe and in these different parts of the country. And people know who the Sabres are because they've got players from Sweden and Finland. The NBA has interest in Africa. They have interest in China. They have interest in Australia. All over the globe, people care about the NBA. So, yeah, if you could put that spotlight on the city, it would be unbelievable. I'm a hockey guy, but I I think you're right, quite frankly. I got one more question for you, and then we're going to wrap up with a little mini lightning round part two. All right, you grew up a Boston Red Sox fan. I remember that from our first interview. Said your dad was a Jays fan. Do you ever get a little envious that you don't get to work in a market like Boston that's pumping out champions or at least title contenders every year like clockwork? Do you think that the Boston media, certainly their fans, have become spoiled because of that? No, because then it's not going to, to me personally, it's going to mean more when the Bills win one or the Sabres win one if that ever happens. And it's going to be amazing to be part of the city when that happens. Just, you know, it's weird. I know the championships still mean a lot, but you almost get desensitized to it a little bit. Like as a Red Sox fan, when they won last year, it was unbelievable. But I've seen them do that before. This has happened before. It's kind of like been there, done that. When the Bills or the Sabres win a championship, it is going to be a historic moment, and this city is going to lose its mind. So, yeah, it's cool that in places like Boston and New York, they have these teams that are often successful, and they get to cover all of these winning teams. But I think it probably gets stale after a while, and I think it probably gets a little boring after a while. Same thing with, like, Alabama football. Like, if you're a fan of Alabama football or even now Clemson football, it's like, okay, we've been there and done that. Is the seventh championship really that much more important than the sixth championship? Like, you can say it is, but is it? Right. The first championship is unbelievable. That's the most important one. So, yeah, maybe it's just it's drawn out and it's taking longer to get there. But, no, I think it's going to be cool to be here when that does happen. All right, man, here's what we're going to do. Mini lighting round part two. I went back and listened to our first chat earlier today. And there were a few questions that we didn't do because I didn't have those questions for my guests at the time. But I do now. Now, the first time we had you on, we learned that you would have been an English teacher if broadcast didn't work out. ESPN's your favorite follow. And your three dinner guests would have been Jesus, your grandfather, and your grandmother. Solid family man answers there, by the way. Let's find out a few more things about Matt Bobay as we wind down. I got three things for you, man. You ready? Certain, those first off, those dinner guests make me seem like such a good person, which is funny because <laughs> probably not. But yeah, go ahead. <laughs> All right. What's the proper amount of time that should elapse before you should tweet out or post on Facebook a status about the ending of a movie or a TV show? This is a LaShawn McCoy inspired question, obviously. At least a week. Okay, fair enough. Jeopardy James lost tonight. In fact, not long before we taped this interview, the guy had won 32 straight shows. He amassed over $2.5 million in earnings. Personally, I think he kind of lost on purpose. Let me ask you this, all right? 
First of all, do you think that really becomes a grind having to turn your mind up like that for 32 straight contests? I'd imagine that the pressure's awful. But here's my real question to this, all right? Name a TV game show that Matthew Beauvais could have potentially dominated. Current or past TV show, any kind of show, past, present, whatever it may have been. What's a TV show or game show that you think you would have went on and you would have did well? I think I would have done well at Legends of the Hidden Temple on Nickelodeon back when I was a younger kid. And I think these days it would be Family Feud. I think I know a lot of the answers in Family Feud, especially when it gets to the final part and you got to get up to 200 points. Yeah. If that's ever on, I'm, all, I'm always screaming out the, the things and I'm getting mad when people don't give good answers. And I'm like, why did you say that? That's such a stupid answer. I th- you, you know, it, it gets a lot different when it actually matters, but I think I'd be pretty good at Family Feud. All right, last question here, all right? You're on stage, you're at a karaoke show. In this world, you're an awesome singer, man, all right? You grab the mic. What song are you rocking out that's going to get the crowd on their feet singing along to you? What's, what's Matt Bovey's signature karaoke song in, his, in your own mind? Uh, I, I don't sing karaoke. I'm mortified of it. But if I was a good singer and I had to, you know, like take ownership of the stage, it would be, it's all coming back to me now by Celine Dion. Because you could, you could belt that out like so loud. And everybody, you know, there's people who are like, oh, it's a terrible song. How could you say that? That's so lame. And I would say that you're a liar because everybody likes that song. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. All right, everyone. Follow Matt on Twitter at Matt underscore Beauvais. Of course, check out his excellent work at Channel 7. Congratulations on the imminent promotion, man. Glad to have you on the podcast again. I love having conversations with you. Thanks, Pat. I appreciate you having me. That interview with Matthew Bovey was brought to you by Matt Cundell voiceovers. Matt Cundell started doing voice radio ads in the 1990s, so he's been at it for quite a while. As his career progressed, he began to branch out and do voice work for television, films, working with e-learning companies and voice solution groups. In 2015, he started working in voice full-time, and your man's been killing it ever since. He's now the president of the Sound Off Media Company. If you need television, radio, online videos, podcasts, telephone, corporate narrations, you name it, Matt Cundell is your guy. I've used Matt's voice for stuff on multiple occasions, and I've been satisfied each and every single time. You will as well. Go to mattcundle.ca for more information. All right, coming up next on this podcast, we have a movie review of Rocket Man, the new Elton John biopic out in theaters now. This review comes courtesy of my friend Sean Chandler from the Sean Chandler Talks About YouTube channel. And I've plugged him a couple times previously on this show. I don't know what more I could tell you. Go check out his channel. Sean Chandler talks about it's an outstanding channel. If you like movies, if you like hearing about movies, if you want reviews, just really good discussion. Sean Chandler's your guy. I'm just going to leave it there. I don't even need to say anything else. Trust me, go check that out. And in the meantime, here it is. Sean Chandler's movie review of Rocket Man. This weekend, the Elton John biopic Rocket Man launches into theaters. So let's talk about it. 
Rocketman is a musical, artistic interpretation of the rise, the fall, and redemption of Elton John. Just as a point of reference going into this, I've never been a big Elton John fan, no hate or anything like that, just of the classic rockers. He's not one of the ones I've usually drifted towards, though I do appreciate some of his songs. Before I get started talking about the movie, go ahead and tell me what you thought about it down below in the comment section. Did you love it? Did you hate it? And are you an Elton John fan as a point of reference? With that said, let's get started talking about the good. And right off the bat, one of the best things about the film is that his life is told and the film is directed with the same flamboyance and vibrance that he lived his life as well as his fashion sense. Stylistically, this film has a lot more in common with The Greatest Showman or La La Land than it does with Bohemian Rhapsody. It is a true musical. It takes great artistic license. There's dream-esque sequences throughout it. Wherever it feels necessary, it takes artistic liberty to try and capture the emotion and the liveliness and the absurdity of the life that he lived, and it does so in a way that I found very captivating and interesting. Then, of course, you have to talk about Taron Edgerton, who absolutely captures this very complex person. At the beginning, he's this shy Reggie who's trying to become famous and do something important. Then he also has to be this character-created Elton John that's famous, and then all of the identity issues that he struggles with throughout his life, where you're talking about dealing with these two personas that he has, dealing with his sexuality, his dealings with his addictions. It's a very complex performance that goes to a whole lot of places where he has to be likable, unlikable, broken, joyful, all of it, you get to see it through his performance. While this is an artistic interpretation of his life, it does not romanticize his life. It paints him in a very negative light for an extended portion of the film. It looks at the way he treated people, the way he treated himself, all the things that he abused, misused. It explores all of it in plain detail on the screen. The sex, the trucks, the rock and roll, all of it. And as this is a musical, you gotta talk about the music, and it's all quite good. Once again, musical, it's not a direct translation of the songs to the screen. It's them adapted to be a musical. So they're sung by groups, they're sung by children. Taron Edgerton performs much of it, and it's all shot like you're watching a music video telling this long story, so it's very cool in the way that it's handled. And finally, the film touches on a lot of really powerful stuff about loneliness, finding love, friendship, success, failure, the cost of success. All of it does it in a way that packs a good bit of emotional punch. From there, let's move on to the bad. Now, I didn't have any big issues with the film. It clocks in at right about two hours. To me, it actually felt a good bit longer than that, which was kind of surprising because it's very quickly paced. There's a lot of musical numbers, moves through a whole lot of different things, but it spends so much time dwelling in the depravity and the depression that it becomes a bit of a slog in the middle of the film. And because of the nature of his life, the movie's not able to build to this big, satisfying climax towards the end of the film. To draw the obvious comparison, there's no Live Aid performance like there was with Bohemian Rhapsody, so the movie feels like we're working through things, and it comes to the point where like, oh, okay, the movie's ending, and then it just kind of ends. It doesn't have that big, satisfying 
conclusion to it. But to draw another comparison to that film, I think that Rocketman is a much better film than Bohemian Rhapsody overall. Very engaging, fantastic performances, maybe just a little bit too long and not quite as satisfying as I would have liked in the end. This is a B plus for me, an 8 out of 10. If you like musicals or Elton John, you gotta check this one out. Just know that it is an R-rated film. It's got sex, drugs, rock and roll, all kinds of language. Tell me what you thought about it down below in the comment section. Thank you so much for watching and keep talking movies too much. All right, that will be a wrap for this episode. Big thank you again to my man, Matt Bovey, WKBW Channel 7 in Buffalo. Second time on the show. And I'll tell you what, man, I am a big, big Matt Bovey fan. Fire none, one of my favorite people in the sports media to have conversation with. Not just the Buffalo sports media, by the way. I'm talking sports media in general. Good guy. Great conversation. Appreciate you, Matt. I also want to thank Sean Chandler from the Sean Chandler Talks About YouTube channel. Letting me run his movie review of Rocket Man. Go check that movie out. Also, check out his channel. Like I said at the top, Sean Chandler talks about awesome YouTube channel, man. He's always got good things going on. Publishes content almost daily. Very good conversations as well in the comment sections of his videos. So definitely go check that out. Speaking of checking things out, if you haven't yet subscribed to this podcast, I invite you to do so. When you subscribe, new episodes automatically get sent directly to your phone, your computer, laptop, iPod, whatever the hell you use within just minutes of the release. I have a new show every Tuesday and every Friday. That is always the benefit of being a subscriber. When you subscribe, you're going to get it before anyone else does. Don't forget to take a quick second, rate and review the show. I see it every week because I mean it, man. It really helps me grow this show tremendously. You can find us anywhere future award-winning podcasts are found. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, all them. One other thing too, by the way, you can also subscribe to our YouTube channel, relatively new. Just go on YouTube, type in Analytics Podcast, hit subscribe there. Hit that little bell next to it. You'll get notifications. I got highlight clips from current and past episodes up there. I'm slapping up some original audio content there as well. Have some videos in the future, stuff like that. So go check that out. And last but not least, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Pamarin Tweets. And I sound like a needy ass bitch there at the end, don't I? Asking you to do all that stuff. But I do. I really appreciate each and every single one of you for listening. I will have a new show on Friday. I think I'm going to have my man Maniac from Trainwreck Sports on with me. We'll have plenty to talk about. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.